Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns. <laughs> okay, sorry, Jake. Vi's laughing is throwing me off here. I'm so sorry. I'm okay. so sorry. It's just, you sound like you're reading a poem. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Decision Decision Space, Space. the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Maya Poland. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. In today's episode, we're discussing the 2021 tile-laying breakout hit Cascadia. We'll touch on the core tensions in the game, scoring design, incidental interaction, and if we think the game's variety engine really keeps this game fresh every time it hits the table. And I'm excited to announce that we're joined by a special guest, Maya Poland, uh, a lover of Cascadia, and I happen to be her husband, and she is my wife. So Maya, how are you doing? We're really excited to have you on Decision Space for the first time. Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me to talk about something that's been taking up a lot of my free time. I just want to say I'm so uh, grateful, Maya, for you being willing to come on, talk Cascadia with us. I'm thrilled to have you on here. And I think this is going to be an awesome conversation. So welcome to Decision Space. We are Thank overjoyed you. to have you. I'm surprised that my first appearance on Decision Space isn't for a trick-taking game, but there you go. I'm surprised too, though we've mentioned, I've mentioned you in a, just about every single trick-taking episode. Um, so I feel like you've been a part of the podcast already, Maya. Um, we always start the show by Jake and I give our ratings and slogan, which basically means I have a, a written thing that I read. Jake comes up with something while I'm doing it. And then I think you'll do the same thing. And then we say our scores and it's wonderful. And it's like our stick. So <laughs> I'm going to invite, I'll go first and then I'll invite you both to do something similar. Does that sound good? Okay. Don't disappoint me. Okay. I feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> When I first played Cascadia, I found its scoring design at best irksome and at worst lazy. Oh goodness, I was so wrong. Delving deeper into its systems play after play, I realized just how brilliantly tuned each scoring card is, creating interesting, dynamic, and meaningful decisions turn after turn while peppering in exciting moments just at the right rate. Every game of Cascadia feels familiar, but its randomized elements add just enough meaningful variability that each emergent puzzle is engaging, challenging, and above all, a pleasure to play. 10 out of 10. Wow. High score. Very exciting. I'll go next. So for me, I love Cascadia. I've had tremendous amounts of fun with the game every time that I've played it so far. But I do have a lingering question, which is that I'm not sure how big of a role luck plays in the game. I feel as though when I get to the end of the game, it can quite easily come down to who's getting the right tile with the right combination of animal and landscape uh, in the last couple rounds of the game and whether what you have is there or not. The jury's still out for me there, um, but I'm having fun with it. I kind of want to give a little bit of a tempered rating because disappointingly, I've only had time to play Cascadia three times, which is not as much as I would have liked to before covering it on a podcast. So I think it could be a 10 for me. It could be like a seven for me at the end of the day. So my temporary rating where I'm at right now, I'll give it an 8.5. I'm splitting the difference. Nice. And Maya, do you want to give your, your rating thoughts slogan? 
Yeah. Um, Jake, don't worry, because I think that Brennan and I have played it enough for all three of, of us at this point. Um, I definitely, definitely unequivocally give Cascadia a 10 out of 10. Um, and I don't know how that... I don't know how that comes off because I don't haven't rated any of the other games that y'all have talked about here, but I will say that we've been playing multiple times a day for how long, Bren? Probably almost over a month now. now. Yeah. 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 We're at 65 plays and all those (laughs) plays have been together. We've played at two players. We've played at three players and four players. The majority of them have been at two, Um, but I would say it's, it's reached almost cardboard obsession. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really, 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 um, really relaxing, but also insanely competitive. So that's where where it gets the 10 from me. I did sort of threaten Brendan because I knew that y'all had these ratings and I was really, really concerned that he wasn't going to give it a 10 out of 10. And I think there is valid (laughs) criticism. If I could measure any valid criticism, I'll try some in the show. But I really do believe that Cascadia is an incredible game that does what it sets out to do nearly perfectly, if not perfectly. And there's so much that I've learned from the design of this game in Mm -hmm. which really surprised me. And I'll talk about my sort of journey with it like I did in the synopsis, but... Um, when I first played this game, there were so many things that I just thought, oh, this is the wrong design decision. It's going to create this funky decision space. That's just like, why am I doing this? It feels, it doesn't feel exciting. It's incentivizing the wrong things. And 20 plays in, I was like, oh, I get it. 30 plays in, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant. And now 65 plays in, I'm like, how, how is this so perfect? Uh, so I guess before we really get into the the show, let's do what we always do and give our pre-planners, the people who play the games along with us, to prepare in the future. Maya, that's for you and for all you listeners out there who are new to the show. Uh, I want to let you know that Cartographers, a roll and write game from the last couple of years, is going to be a game that we're covering coming up. There's a nice applement app implementation of that that you can check out uh, we're also playing it in our discord if you would like to maybe play it asynchronously we have a game going right now i don't know if we'll start another one but you could at least pop in and see what's happening and say yes but i really want you to start another one uh you should also know that as you're speaking right now excuse me as you're listening i'm speaking you're listening um we have a book club starting in our discord uh we're going to be reading the book games agency as its art by c Tai win uh, that's going to be happening over the course of the next two months. We'll, we'll read a couple chapters every two weeks, I think. Every two weeks, we'll finish the book over the course of two months, and we'll discuss it along the way, and then we'll have an episode at the end. So I want to invite all of you pre-planners who are interested in either of those things to come into our Discord and learn more. Again, the book is Games Agency as Art by C. Tai Win. Okay, without further ado, some quick game background. Cascadia was designed by Randy Flynn. It is published by Flat Out Games, and it was published in 2021. It plays one to four players. The solo mode, I believe, was actually done uh, by another designer whose name I should really have on hand, but I do not. Maybe we can come back to that later. Um, But this is sort of done by the Flat Out Games collective group. They've done other games like Cascadia. um, That would be this game. uh, Excuse me. Calico. Thank you. Uh, like Calico, and those are their two biggest breakout hits uh, as of late. They're based in Seattle, and I think they espouse this similar idea that games should have simple rule sets, but really interesting dynamic decision spaces. Awesome. 
Well, thank you, Brendan, for the game background. Now let's roll your pre-recorded rules overview to give people a better idea of how to play this game so that they can enjoy our following deep dive conversation into the decisions in Cascadia. Cascadia is a tile-laying pattern-building game with two distinct but interlocked puzzles, animals and habitats. Each turn, a player is offered four options, and each option is a random pairing of one of the game's five animal tokens, for example, a fox token, a bear token, a chinook token, a hawk token, or an elk token, and a habitat tile, which depicts one or two terrain types out of the game's five types, wetlands, mountains, rivers, prairies, and forests. These tiles also depict what types of animals could be placed on that tile. The player will then select one of these pairings of habitat tile and animal, and then add the habitat tile and animal token to their personal play area where they'll connect the habitat tile to a previously placed habitat tile or their starting tile, and they'll place the animal token on top of a habitat tile that depicts a matching animal which isn't already occupied by another animal. Habitat tiles or hexagons generally split in half showing two terrain types, mountains and forest, rivers and prairie, and so on. At the end of the game, players score their largest contiguous area of each terrain type and receive one point for each tile in this area. Additionally, the player at the table with the largest area in each habitat type receives bonus points. Some tiles are called keystone tiles, and these tiles depict only a single habitat type and a single valid animal that can be placed on it. However, these tiles provide a nature token if covered up by their matching animal. Nature tokens provide one point at the game end, but more importantly can be spent for added flexibility in animals when selecting a tile and token each turn. Overlaid on this puzzle is a puzzle about animal token scoring. At the start of the game, a scoring card is randomly chosen for each of the game's five animals, and dictates how that animal type needs to be arranged this game to be scored. For example, perhaps pears need to be created from bears, uh, with no other bears around them, an elk must be placed in a line with increasing points for how many elk that you've placed in that line. This scoring system provides tremendous game-to-game -game variety and interesting trade-off decisions. Furthermore, Cascadia's tactical decisions are typically tremendously rewarding as the player expertly weaves together these two puzzles over the course of 20 turns, each with their own independent quirks on the table. And at the end of the game, the player with the most points, after the bonus points for having the most of certain terrain types, adding in points from animals, habitats, and nature tokens left over, is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan. That was absolutely incredible. Can we, are we allowed to go back to something that y'all said before or is there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just want to go back to what Jake said because Jake, you sort of had the threat of a seven potentially as your rating, depending on what you think as you play more. I wouldn't call it a threat, but <laughs> yes, that's a fair characterization of what I was saying. So because you're talking about the randomization. There's potentially too much randomness with the game for you to enjoy the decisions that come out when that randomness can tip the scale at the end of Cascadia, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think like that there is certainly quite a bit of randomness over the course of a game. And I haven't played it enough to know whether where exactly I come down yet. Um, but well, I would just be interested in in further plays 
Like yeah. how how high I feel as though the skill ceiling in the yeah. game allows somebody to climb. Mm. I see. Well, I completely agree with you about there being a a a, a randomness element in Cascadia because Brendan and I a few games ago played a game where we did not pull a single salmon the in- was it the entire game or was it was until-, until like turn 17 which would be the 34th pull or something like that yeah from the there, I mean, there yeah. was very very few tiles left by so not a neither of us had a single salmon on our board so absolutely there is um this wild card element of cascadia for sure but that makes it so fun and so much more challenging in terms of the decisions that you have to make when that like why would you want to play a game with no randomness in it do you even like games jake (laughs) this is not how i expected this to go (laughs) i'm getting torn down already (laughs) it turns out i don't like games i have no idea what i'm talking about and i have to quit the podcast what are we 10 minutes in (laughs) i do think this is this is like the perfect jumping off point i think in some ways to talk about the decision space overall Thank you. Please save me, Brendan. At the same time, sort of the strategic arc of the game. And I think my and I now 65 plays in have a really specific way that we approach playing Cascadia. Mm -hmm. And we've because we've learned in parallel, I'd be really curious if other groups have different strategies. But I think part of the, the joy of Cascadia is the skill in the game is combating that randomness. And it's about flexibility in a face of a game that gives you a few tools to combat it but also says just do your best um so some interesting observations about that that tie into the shape of the decision space for me are obviously cascadia is this game with these two interlocking puzzles you have animals and you have habitats and the whole game is the tension between what do i need to be doing to maximize the potential of my action on this turn for points in the future Mm -hmm. right that's the whole thing but your animals are fighting with your habitat because you don't always want to put your animals where you, in the you need to put your animals on habitat tiles, but you can't always put the animals on the habitat tile exactly where you want the habitat tile to go. Um, so I I feel like a lot of the skill in Cascadia is in staying as open as possible as long as possible using the nature tokens that you get. Uh, which are incredibly powerful tools of agency with regards to animal tiles um, and basically staving off commitment as long as possible until you can get huge point payouts that you see are going to be beneficial, which for me means that it's a fairly dynamic decision space um, built around this sort of static structure where you're always making fairly similar choices, but the inputs are are there. Uh, but the amount of habitat tiles and valid spaces is staying roughly the same because you always have three open habitat tiles on your board anywhere to place animals and those could have between one and three different animals that can go on each of them so in that way the decision space sort of constricts and tightens at least with regards to the animal side yeah that makes a lot of sense i've got a couple of questions for y'all and general you know this is just a genuine question not a criticism not a threat Um, (laughs) but my question is when you come down to the end of the game specifically, Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. last couple of turns. It seems like in my limited experience, there is the potential for those last couple turns to be pretty swingy based on what's available because you, the way you can build up your structure, right? You could be looking for a specific uh, 
it's probably more often with the animals. You could f- have, need a specific uh, landscape, though, to tie together two big chunks of landscape, which could be if that landscape comes out, you know, uh, uh, five or six extra points by tying them all together versus it doesn't come out and that's nothing. Or I think more often you might find a single animal placement, right? If you, you really need to get an animal tile because you, you know, have your two bears and you've got a third bear spot surrounded by nothing else. And, you know, getting that bear tile out there is going to be worth 10 entire points to you, or maybe it just doesn't come out. And I think that is where I am just unsure if I like that ending point to the game. Not to say there isn't skill throughout. So I'm just genuinely curious. That's question number one. Have you guys found that in your experience to be the case? Brian, do you want to go? Uh, sure. I've In my experience, I think that a large part of getting better at Cascadia has been the, the practice of learning when to go into which type of animals and learning to sort of read the scorecards as effectively as possible. And I'm not surprised you brought up the bear card, Jake. Uh, this specific card for listeners back home is one of the cards that basically every bear you place is worth, they have to be all combined. And if you have three that are all together with no bears adjacent, you get 10 points. Great. That's an average payout per bear of 3.33 points. Uh, I'm going to be super nerdy on this podcast and talk about this a lot because this is part of why I realize this game is so brilliant. Uh, That's pretty high. The average value of an animal in Cascadia, a going rate of you can just place an animal tile anywhere on your board is two. Um, so if you can get there, that's a pretty efficient payoff for those three animals. Um, but it's really risky because if you don't quite finish it, then it's going to be rough. I haven't found that as much Jake, but I think that's just a product of playing more and understanding when to push in certain animal directions and when to pull back. And there were definitely times where with that card specifically in my earlier games, I would, okay, I finished my first three. I'm going to go for my second three. Okay. I finished my second three. I'll go for a third one. And it's just like the game doesn't allow for that in that way. So you sort of run up against the rigidity of the randomness. Uh, But there's definitely times for sure where the last turn of the game is like, if I pull a Fox tile, I'm going to get, I'm going to place it here and I'm going to get six points and it's going to be this huge point swing because it's like three times my average value of a turn or something like that. But I think in general, the scoring is done so that you can see the breaks once you've played with some of the cards a little bit more. What do you think, Mai? Do you feel like the randomness impacts it too much for you at the end? I just think the math of it... Um, once you've played a couple of times, I mean, I think it's really fun on, on the first couple of plays, but once you've played a couple of times, the math of it makes it so that animals are not the way animals Mm. are not the way to win the game because of what Brennan's talking about, where you just, you do get a couple points off of every single animal. So what you, you know, what, where your really interesting decisions come in is, you know, of course the interplay between animals and terrain, but in terms of the end of the game, um, I would say probably most folks who are playing Cascadia a lot are really, really focusing on territory at the end of the game because your animals are sort of small fries at that point. Is that fair to say? I think that it's also a product of how open you leave your board, right? Where because we played so much at two players, the way the terrain works, you can so clearly see where you can steal the the bonus points that you get for being in the lead in some of those. So I think that's partially, correct me if I'm wrong, why my why you're saying that that becomes so important for you and you've left yourself open three or four different animal options that might all give between mm-hmm. three and five points so you're okay with sort of a b or c you have a bunch of pine cones stored up at least mm-hmm. you rather have you, you at, that's another thing 
is the importance of having a purse of pine cones on you at all times in the game of Cascadia. I feel like the more I play Cascadia, the more I feel completely naked and bare at the completely vulnerable against the wilderness of the game if i don't have a few pine cones on me because like you're saying jake you can end up in a situation where you're so pinched by the animals that you could just have to throw one in the bag and you almost never want to be in that position um Mm -hmm. so i think for me it shifts the whole decision space around the sort of arc of what maya is saying where early on habitat is really important to focus on making sure you're connecting them as much as possible. We can talk about that puzzle more. Then I focus a little bit more on animals. I try to stay as flexible as possible. And then I'm back towards focusing on train while secretly just making sure my train is aces the whole time. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so my second question was, do you see an argument for like a waxing decision mm. space? Because as you point out, uh, you have the same amount of availability for the animals, right? You always have three options to place an animal onto a tile, but your option for where to place a landscape tile just steadily grows throughout the whole game. So you have this waxing element running through everything else being static. That's okay. That's a really interesting question. Do you sort of, I feel like no, because of how the point scoring is structured um, with habitat tiles, that I it squeezes this demanding efficiency out of you, right? So every time you place a habitat tile, uh, if it's a keystone tile, you can potentially get two points from it by putting an animal that matches it on it. And it only has one terrain on it, right? So it has the max potential of two points there. If you're placing another habitat tile, it's split between two tile types. So whenever you place it, it has the potential of being two, it could be worth one point for you if you only match one of the sides to an, your largest other contiguous train, or zero if you just put it over in La La Land to get an animal down. And I feel like because of that reason, the decision space stays so focused and tight. Like, yes, your options grow, but I think your valid placement of tiles stays pretty constricted outside of some meaningful risks that you might take with like, okay, I'm working on forest on the northwest side of my board and the southwest side of my board. And I'm just hoping by the end of the game, I can connect the two of them because it's really vital that I bring those two together. And I had to do it uh, in terms of making early games decisions around animals. I think I'm more risk-taking with my train than than Maya is typically. Um, what do you think, Maya? Do you feel like with regards to the train? Jake, what was the question? I answered the it waxing. and then I forgot it. The oh, waxing. waxing. Yeah, I think because you always have the option of putting a terrain tile down, even if it doesn't connect to another terrain, I don't know if that if it would count as sort of expanding, expanding your decisions per per se. Um, But I do think I don't know, I'm such a generalist with my terrain. I'm always I like I have a hard time even making the decision to not focus on one type of terrain. I'm pretty mm. dedicated to all all types of terrain, which is probably, you know, sometimes it's a great decision and sometimes it's not as good as a decision. So I'm making my own, um, what is it? What do you guys call it? Static. I'm keeping uh, it pretty static. Hearing you guys talk about it, I feel like that is drawing me to an understanding that this decision space is pretty static. Yeah. 
I think it is, which is surprising because it feels waxing when you're playing it, right, Jake? Like, like you're saying, I can see why you asked that question because you sort of, as you build up more tiles, it, you have all these options at your disposal. But the more the more you play, and the more the game demands of that efficiency of you to maximize the points, because the bonus point swing from habitat tiles is huge, um, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm in a two-player game, the winner of it gets two points. In a three-player or a four-player game, the winner gets three, and the person in second gets one or two or something like that right uh, there's like four points total available the winner gets three the second place gets one um and because those points represent such a huge swing i think it forces you to be really really tight with how you place those tiles in a way that i think the game wants when you first play you're like oh shiny animals look at these bears like literally i was like oh bears are my animals i'm always going for bears these are so good but the more i've played the more i've realized i can neglect animals because the game gives you the tools to stay flexible with animals right you can trade pine cones to to find new animals that you need but you can never use pine cones to get new habitat tiles so you have to deal with the rigidity of the habitat tiles by pasting on the flexibility of the animals to patch up your holes. And that is where the interesting decisions come for me, right? It's like, I'm always envisioning, okay, I think my board will look like this in terms of animals, but the game tells me how my board has to look in terms of terrain. Um, and then I just make the animals work. Yeah. And like going back to what you were saying, Jake, about the end of the game, I, you know, if I'm playing, if I'm in the beginning of the game and I see that Brendan's going for three bears, he's going for the bear family and there's three bears on the, on the board, I might choose to wipe them, which is a choice you can make in the game, but not something you have to do automatically. I might choose to wipe them just because I want to be a jerk and not and have him take longer to take his bears. Whereas I wouldn't do that later in the game because I'm probably more dedicated to finishing the, pu the multiple puzzles that I'm working on in terms of terrain and animals. So maybe I'm seeing the waxing the waning argument. Oh, so so it's a little bit of everything. I want to just touch on one thing that Brendan said, which is that it's okay to neglect animals. And I would say that's absolutely <laughs> not okay, Brendan. Shame on you. Only, you know, this is a very... Uh... After not mentioning our cat for months. Yeah, I'm sorry, Stella. Um, <laughs> I will say, interestingly, I say this, right? And But you look at the score sheet at the end of the game, and if you're just looking at the score... You, you could get 60, 65 points from animals. Uh, I would say the goal of what I'm shooting for in animals is like 60 points. That's my goal. Um, because that means I'm getting at least, you're placing 20 animals over the course of the game. I want to get at least three points from every animal I place. If I'm place, get, only getting two points from animal, each animal, it's too low. And I'm trying to push even higher. Some of the foxes can pay out five, five and a half per fox that you play. Um, so Ugh, at the end of the game- what cost? <laughs> at no cost they're amazing uh, at the end of the game two thirds of your points roughly are going to be from animals but those points come slightly easier and I think that's the, the trick of Cascadia is you have to work harder for the terrain tiles that you get and your decisions there are more challenging so that's the puzzle that the more we've played the more we've focused on being as efficiently as possible because the game is forgiving in terms of animals somewhat and that's, that's really interesting insight. Sorry, finish. No, no. I, the only thing I was going to say, Jake, is that's why I think some people would sit down and look at these cards and go like, all these cards do the same thing. It doesn't even matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I get four fish, four of the Chinook, or if I get four birds. So this is a boring decision space because 
all these scoring cards. Like it's just one of those typical euros. Everything I do gives me a few points. Like, so why does it matter? I'll just put on a blindfold and pick. And I think that's how I felt playing it initially. And I complained to my, I was like, all the scoring cards are the same. Like they all give me the same payoff. What's the point? Like it's, I, I'm going to make a peanut butter and peanut butter sandwich. Like that's not, <laughs> it's not exciting, but the more I played, the more I realized is it's exciting because of the way that they interact with each other. And there yeah. actually are really interesting point breaks that sort of push you towards when you want to jump off the salmon train or when you want to jump into the bear game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Totally. What are the other core tensions in the game and maybe like player interaction? I'd be curious to hear maybe Jake, your perspective on your first three games. How much were you like caring about other people's boards? How much were you looking at the tiles that other people are going for and that sort of thing? Yeah. So I think when I played this game, even though I've only played it three times, I have played it at four player twice and two players once. And I think it's definitely worth pointing out the tremendous difference in uh, the player interaction at the two player count versus four. And I think that comes through most prominently in the terrain tiles, as you are talking about, where that really becomes a zero sum gain for winning the bonuses. Where in the four player games, and of course this is again, uh, colored by the fact that is my you know, initial plays and playing with other people who it was their initial plays as well. The terrain felt a little bit more like people sort of like claiming one, right? So it's like, play. it's like, I'm the island guy. I'm taking all the water tiles I possibly can. And I'm claim, you know, I'm putting down my flag early on so that, uh, you know, signaling to everybody else, like, don't even try it. Uh, and somebody else, you know, is everyone's picking up on, on the signals and, and somebody's taking the plains, somebody's mm. taking the wetlands, somebody's taking the mountains, and then there's really just one extra one to go around. Um, so that is a player, you know, that is signaling, that is player interaction, but that feels very different. Those are some very polite Cascadia players you're playing with. <laughs> well, I think it makes, I think it, I mean, it just makes sense, right? If I'm playing the game and it's, I don't know, maybe one third of the way through the game and I'm looking around the table mm-hmm. and everybody has stuck out their claim, right? Am I going to Yeah, you can't catch them. risk trying and failing to do that or am I going to take what is available to me uh, to make sure I'm on even footing with them? Mm-hmm. I do think one of the things about the game that the more you play, the more it pushes you away from that is that because outside of the keystone tiles, which show just one train, every tile represents an opportunity to increase in two of them, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're on average every turn, if you're really focusing on one train, but in focusing on that one, you're sort of focusing on two. And in focusing on those two, you kind of dip your foot into a third. I think you could, the goal, I think at higher player counts is to pick up two of them as the winner and get second and at least a couple of the others. And those points are going to meaningfully add up to some degree. But I do think you're right, Jake, at least from when we played. I think terrain gets emphasized at the at the two-player count, certainly, mm-hmm. um, because of the points available per player and minimized slightly. Um, but I think it's still it's still pretty pretty valuable. Yeah, definitely valuable. And, and you're right. You, know, you still want to get the second and third. And I think with an- animals, and again, this is my experience, uh, it's been a little bit less like I want to your point, Maya, I, I, I don't know that you're going to be it's a very profitable move at four players to wipe a whole line of uh, animals to make sure that the next person to go doesn't get what they're looking for uh, when it's just 
there's going to be so much variance in what animals are available by the time it gets back to you anyway. Uh, so I think that it makes a little bit more sense to play that cutthroat at two players than at four. But there's still a lot of player interaction in that uh, it, you know, I, I feel like, again, it's it's like signaling more than anything else. Like, okay, this person's clearly going for the salmon. Um, so any salmon that does come out, they're very likely to take it. So do I want to start building out my, uh, you know, do I want to build my landscape in a way that's going to incentivize salmon scoring? If this, the person on my right is one is going for that, probably not. But if it's the person on my left, then that's more open to me. I feel like that is, and, you know, and that's a fun and rich form of player interaction too. Definitely. I found myself also just looking at focusing on maybe four of the five animals at higher yeah. player counts too. Whereas at, at two player, I'm generally I'm using all the animals just because of the way that the math plays out. So would you, you had a similar experience, Mai? Yeah, I think I just, I love that amount of multitasking. I'm gonna, I don't know if you guys talk about this a lot in terms of when you're having to make that many <laughs> layers of decisions at the same time, but you mm. really, really do, I think, want to be working on on so many of the animals at the same time, as well as your terrains. And that's, you know, that's, I guess that's why I don't have that heartbreak at the end of a game of Cascadia, the way that, um, you know, I'll be honest, we've only, we've, we've played Calico a couple of times as well. And I, I'm, I've, I, I'm excited to play more, but so far I've had a little bit more of that sort of heartbreak at the end of Calico, where if you don't get that one piece, you feel like it yeah. all didn't come together. Um, and happily, I never really feel that with Cascadia because there is so much multitasking where I'm always working on um, probably all, honestly, I feel like you need to work on all of the animals while you're playing Cascadia and all, all of the terrains as well. Maybe, you know, you could leave the swamp behind, I suppose, if you must. <laughs> I totally agree. I, sorry, Brent. Uh, I, I think that's like uh, one of my very favorite things about the game. It, and I think part of that might just be the fact that you're able to build out organically. Mm. Uh, whereas <laughs> I know Calico is like, you know, you have a confined shape that you're building within. Yeah. And I haven't played Calico, but I have played a lot of Sagrada, which is very similar in structure to Cascadia in terms of multiple different scoring conditions. Cool. And the big difference is you're building in a stained glass window that's like a five by four grid. And at the end of the game, you know, it, it's very likely that you will be missing like a single die. So you just have uh. this like incomplete window and it's totally devastating in the way yeah. that, uh, you know, you always feel pretty good or I've always felt pretty good about what I've created in Cascadia. Mm -hmm. I think there's great intent behind the design to try to minimize this too, Jake. Uh, I don't think it's an accident that pine cones let you fish for animal tiles mm -hmm. and not let you interact with the habitat, right? Because the habitat, the potential for uh, finding that one tile that you need to be a huge payoff. One, I don't think the game really wants you to sort of like puzzle in a way where you're like oh i really need the mountain forest and i'll connect these two sections and that will give me 10 points you just don't find yourself in those situations because yeah. the design doesn't invite it but you do with animals and because you do because the points pay off more getting what you need is more important the game says okay here's here are these uh nature tokens these pine cones of power that you can choose when to spend your agency in this game and i think that's such a smart design decision that sort of takes something that would be frustrating the game for me uh the amount of luck and sort of 
puts it back on the player in a way that like the reservation card mechanic in Splendor is a very similar thing where it's it's increasing the skill ceiling a ton without increasing rules complexity or a lot of baggage. Um, and it, it also just feels good to get them. Uh, it's fun to take the keystone tiles, plop an animal down and collect something. I think just the the mechanics of that play is, is joyful too. So it, that mechanic for me is sort of the cherry on top mechanic that takes us to the next level. It's fun to get the tiles, the, yeah. the pine cones. Yeah. It's also fun to not use them. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like it feels great to just keep sitting on a pile of them, which is really cool, right? I think that's uh it I don't know what it is about this game in particular, but uh if it, it, it seems rare that you'll have a game where it's like really fun to not spend a resource in the way that it is true in Cascadia. In some ways, it's sort of a measure of your, it's feedback about how efficiently you're playing, right? Because the game says, if you're not playing efficiently, just spend these and I'll help you get the animals you need. You can patch the holes. But I look over and Maya has a pile of five pine cones sitting in front of her. I'm like, oh, I'm in for a beating. Because not only did she not need the pine cones, she gets five extra points at the end of the game, which is huge. If we're both scoring, you know, within, I don't know, striking distance of each other. That's like an extra, in terms of animals, five points could be an extra turn into half of animals or something. Yeah, the secret six animal of Cascadia is squirrels, and they're the players, and we're hoarding them. I can't, <laughs> tell, you, I can't tell you the number of times that I've beat Brendan with just one pine cone. So. It's too many. It's definitely too many. <laughs> yeah. So could we talk about the um, starting tiles a little bit? I think that they're really interesting and well-designed. So the whole tension of Cascadia that we talked about is this tension between animals and terrain. And the, the math of Cascadia is brilliant, but it all hides from the player. It doesn't say you need to know exactly what tiles in, are in the bag and you need to know exactly how many to enjoy it, right? It just sort of, the tiles exist and you can enjoy and play the game. 65 plays in. I haven't been compelled to go make a chart like I was in King Domino to see exactly what tiles exist. Um, I've sussed it out, but I, I haven't laid that out in Excel, let's say. Um, and I think a, a big part of that is it gives you good signposting from the start and it's about the flexibility. And part of that signposting is you get to look at your little starting tile that's three hexagons all together. You could place any animal possible. It has every configuration. It has all five terrain types. It emphasizes one, which is a keystone tile, uh, which that animal will appear twice on your board. So instantly it says, maybe this game you want to focus on elk, but it also says, or don't, it doesn't matter. Um, and I love that about the game, that it's kind of at the beginning, I get my, I like get the fox tile thrown down in front of me. Maya says, ooh, are you sure you want to play with that one? And I go, put my seatbelt on. Absolutely, I do. Foxes are challenging, but I'm ready to go. They pay off huge and you're going to lose. You do love the foxes. That's really fascinating. The way you've described these tiles, which I, in my plays, I've just 100% not paid any attention to at all, is like almost as if they are like asymmetric player powers, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty wild. I, you know, I don't understand. I don't think that they actually. I don't think one board is any better than any other in the game, actually. Um, but I do... It, tier list. Let's have the tier list. Let's have now. the tier list, right. <laughs> but it feels different. And it, it gives me a sense of like, okay, this game, I'm focusing more on this. Or early game, I'm going to have to get Hawks. What do I do with that problem of Hawk cards generally want to be on the outside of my board, and I'm starting with one on my player board? What am I going to do with that problem? How am I going to respond to it? 
Um, and how does that relate to all these different scoring cards that are out there and what the, these scoring cards are telling me the shape of my animals should be? I don't mind the hawk. I mind when I get one, when I start with like the bear or the elk and it's asking me to make a, a herd of animals right in the start. That mm. feels like the game is asking me to make a decision that I'm not necessarily ready to make. Mm. And a more, a riskier decision, right? If, if you're especially, and I think that also goes back to playing it more at two players, right? Where it's especially at two players, it can be quite easy for someone to wait for you to get invested <laughs> along mm-hmm. the bear or elf path and say, now I'm going to make it really difficult for you to finish that at this point on. Not that mm-hmm. Brendan probably would do that. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Multiple times a day, as it were. <laughs> Maybe now would be a really good time for us to pivot and talk about those animal scoring cards some. Mm. Yeah, let's do it. And because I think it's really interesting that you describe this game as a game about the terrains because 100% of the complexity of the game is offloaded into these animal mm. scoring cards, right? It's Without those, it's the simplest game yeah, that we've ever covered on this podcast, um, which I think is just an awesome design decision for making it more accessible to folks. I don't have to teach every single rule in the game to play it. I just have to teach, you know, Definitely. whatever subsection we're dealt out. Uh, and, you know, it just instantly makes uh, you want to play it again and try something else out. I, I, my, I shared this uh, on a previous podcast, but I was playing with a uh, a new friend and a couple of new players. And after the the game, he, we were putting the box away and he like saw that there were more cars in there and pulled them out. It was just like reading. It was like, what? You know, not familiar, not as familiar with board games. And he just thought like, it was like totally, I was just watching his like mind blown. It's like, you mean like every game is going to be different? Like, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and my sister had like the same reaction, but more negative. She was like, now I have to learn it again. <laughs> but she did ask to play it multiple days in a row. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were tra- taking care of three kids, and she was like, but when can we play Cascadia? I was like, when they're napping. Small choking. <laughs> um, yeah, so the animal scoring cards. Basically, for those of you who are less familiar with Cascadia, you're always going to pick uh, a different scoring card of the same five types of animals that appear in our, all games. Uh, the, the base game comes with four for each of these animal types. Um, so you have a bear, a salmon, a hawk, an elk, and a fox, like we've said. And all of these, they sort of share similar functions within the game. Well, some of them of the same type very greatly. And some of them all feel pretty similar. Um, Mm -hmm. Foxes generally are the only ones that relate to what is surrounding them. Salmon, you want runs. Hawks don't want to be near other hawks usually and want to be sort of more on the outside of your board. Uh, Elks have specific shapes they want to be in, except for the card that's not that. And bears, you're looking for pairs, three of a kind, maybe pairs, three of a kind at the same time, some sets, uh, sort of like the micro set collecting cards. Um, and I think all of these come together to give you really different feeling games, which I, when I first played, I didn't think that would be the case. Um, but for me, the the goal of this type of design is fully realized in Cascadia, right? 
the worst version of this is every version of these cards that you randomly lay out all kind of feel the same. And to me, that's not what Cascadia is at all. Every time all five cards come out, I'm scanning them, looking at how they're going to interact. I know that the game is going to feel differently and I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the animals too, not only do they add diversity, I think it's like kind of clever, like, you know, uh, this is, let's be clear, an abstract game. But I do think they have this like little element of mechanical thematic integration that makes them slightly easier to understand, right? It sort of makes sense. Like I can remember that the salmons want to go in a run, you know, without looking at the card because I know that's like what salmons do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the same with the the hawks, right? Like they're the only one that's in my plays that like look across you know that care about tiles that aren't immediately next to them in any way mm-hmm. uh you know which thematically is like yeah they're like soaring above like they can see across and it makes it just makes intuitive sense to me i think it's like a really nice mechanical touch of theming there's also some of the names are really good there's a bear curl card called mother and cubs uh, that's the one where you. That's the one we discussed earlier, where you need three bears all together with no bears around them. Uh, famously, mother with her cubs does not want to be surrounded by other bears, probably or like people. Um, mating pairs is just getting pairs. You get points for the number of pairs you have of bears. So I totally agree, Jake. There's cute stuff like that. There's also like there's a lot of a lot of the cards require you to set up your tiles in really specific ways, right? Like when you're doing the salmon, you have to do them in a, in a row. And when you're doing bears, they have to be either pairs or threes. And so it's, I think it's really fun when you get a scoring card that asks you to do something different, like the, the elk herd where you just get to lay the elk in a random pattern and just, you get points for every single elk. Um, that's really, really fun compared to the rest of the tiles that ask you for this sort of rigid patterning. Yeah. I think that's the only one like that. Yeah. That's the only one that lets you completely have a giant mass of them in whatever shape it creates. (laughs) I think it's interesting too, where, you know, I haven't played as much as y'all. Um, but it seems like I'm on the, when I'm playing the game, like I'm on the edge of fitting everything together, mm. right? Where yeah. I can put an animal down that is, you know, working towards that scoring condition, but uh, also potentially working towards other scoring conditions, or at least like not working against specific scoring con- conditions, right? So it feels like whatever layout of cards you get is creating like a solvable puzzle. It's yeah. just, you know, you may not be a smart enough to do it in the, best possible sequencing or you know you're going to be fighting with not getting exactly the animals and tiles that you need at the right time um but i like that right like it it feels like you're trying to find this thread through all the scoring cards and i think that part of the brilliance of the game for me that makes de-emphasizes the luck somewhat is that the way that a lot of the scoring cards typically work not all of them is the first three that you get are going to have a, a, a low payoff. So like it's two points, then it's two points for the next one you place. And then the third one is maybe three points. And then you get to this break where like, okay, the next one you place is four or five points. A lot of the salmon will work like this. Um, where like, if you get three, that's where you get nine points. And then if you get five, it's this, another big jump. And then you have to get all the way to seven or something. Um, but there's stops along the way. 
And I think that's really good in terms of the randomness because it allows you to sort of um, jump into things, get good payoffs, and then pivot away while, be, while emphasizing other actions. Or if you get bad luck and you just get stuck with all the hawks, oh, you're going to get paid off a bunch when you get to the end of placing eight hawks on your board somehow and getting this huge payoff. I think also a lot of them don't specifically really care about hyper intricate placement. Um, the foxes obviously do. A lot of the foxes are about how many adjacent animals are a type. Uh, some of the hot cards are the stronger hot cards can be like this. The ones where you can double count them and that sort of thing. But I think there's just enough flexibility in the animals with some of them being really rigid to add texture. Like the fox card. Have you played with this one, Jake, where you need a pair of foxes surrounded by pairs of animals? I don't think so. So that one's really pol uh, polarizing and it sh warps the whole shape of your whole game potentially. Mm -hmm. um, but that's fun because it just makes that game about that fox card. Whereas a lot of the other ones, like some of the bears, are kind of forgettable. Like I don't know the last game I paired played with getting bear pairs, but I know I had fun getting bears in that game. And I like that there's that spectrum of animal scoring cards in the game. Yeah, that's why the scoring cards are so great, right? You look at them synergistically and figure out, okay, what's the big point guy here like what's when i like when i pass that threshold past the two or three points per per animal what's where can i really get a huge amount of points um and that's where the, it goes back to player interaction too because you then you have to decide if you're going to block specifically your opponent from getting that sort of best point getter i'm thinking specifically of brendan with the spoke and wheel uh, action on the hawks that I what, will never let happen again. One of the hawk cards, Hawk C, if you're not familiar with the game, basically allows you to create line of sights between different hawks and you can have them count multiple times. So that's one of the only cards that can get really out of control if you get a ton of them. Um, yeah. That card's typically led to really high point scoring games for us. It's really interesting in my game too. Uh, I felt like I... I really felt like I was running away with the game. Like I mm. felt like all my animals were placed really efficiently. I did really well on terrain types and we counted a score and I, I narrowly lost. Uh, and oh. I, and I didn't realize, you know, I was surprised because uh, I genuinely thought I was going to win the game. Um, but you know, what I kind of realized was in that particular game, uh, the guy who won had done, more focus on hawks and bears mm. that were just more efficient scoring yep. uh, than the animals that I went for. Um, with you know, so I think there's some element in there where you have to really parse out what's going to, as you're saying, Maya, you have to yeah. parse out what's going to be worth the most in any given game to the point where you know you can make less efficient plays from you know animal and tile placement if you're going for the more point efficient animals which i think is awesome that they allow space for that yeah i think too that decision becomes even more interesting jake because you don't always know what your trade-offs are going to be right at a snapshot you might feel like okay i'm gonna early game i'll just focus on habitat because i can pick up animals and make them fit in the puzzle later on you know you might focus on okay i'm gonna go for prioritizing animals end up with some habitat tiles and then you might just get flushed with that same habitat tile type and it just kills you because you should have been focusing on the habitat over the others you didn't uh and then you pay for it because you made the wrong choice there 
I, What's up? I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm just was reading down your notes and I just came across a line that says, which puzzle is more interesting, which is more fun. And then the bullet point under that just says undivorceable. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> to clarify, that's about the puzzles, not about our relationship. They're also true about our relationship. <laughs> Maya, which do you think is more interesting and which do you find more fun? Oh. Um, I definitely find the terrain more fun just because it's it's so um, sort of relaxing and satisfying and um, I guess rote a little bit, but it's it, ultimately you need the animal, right? Like the animals are the that's how you're you that's how that's how you're gonna get your terrain where you need it to be. I can't see. I can't. I can't divorce them. You're right. So, this is such a spike <laughs> at heart. Just pure efficiency all the time. What about you, Jake? What do you? <laughs> yeah, you like? I I, I want to echo uh, what Maya is saying. I think the tile, like when I think of traditional tile placement in game, like a game like Carcassonne, like the classic. Mm. I think it's the terrains that give you those like truly satisfying moments where you slot in the perfect terrain to link two sections, and, and you're also uh, adding to another big section and that you know gives you the endorphin moment mm -hmm. um, but of course like it's the animal side of thing that is really what fires for my more like euro game loving strategic and like tactical part of my brain yeah I it's so interesting because I feel like these because the animals are so much more flexible and the terrain is so much more rigid I feel like I get to have my cake and eat it too in the game in some ways, because I think depending on the game, they could both be the more interesting or the more fun puzzle. And for me, that's part of the fun of Cascadia is whenever I sit down to play, I don't know what the game, what shape the game is going to take, but I know it's going to be fun and I know it will feel fair and it will be an interesting puzzle. So some games we play, I'm just so hyper-focused on the train and it's sort of all I can pour my soul into other games. The train just sort of kind of comes, it flows you know, easy like a river right into your hands. And you're like, okay, I can kind of force animals a little bit more because for whatever reason, the randomness enabled this. Um, and I love that. I love that different games feel in that way. And I think also, I like that when you sit down to play a game of Cascadia and you look at all the animal tiles, I'm curious if either of you do this. Maya, I haven't talked to you about this too much. Um, you can imagine sort of like, okay, this is the optimal way that my animals should look on the board. But you can't say, okay, this is the optimal way I should lay out my terrain. It just like doesn't, for me, that because it's so rigid, it's so hard to imagine what's there. So I'm constantly, the my imagining of what my animals are going to look like is falling apart as the game goes on. Like I'm just getting my soul crushed generally as I try to just make it work from what I hoped would be uh, my layout versus my terrain, which that picture is coming into focus. So there's this inflection point in the middle of the game where sort of it comes together and I sort of see, okay, this is what my board is going to be from in this game, how can I make it the best version of this board? And I think that's a really fun part of Cascadia for me is that specific inflection point where the puzzles meet. I feel the opposite. What? <laughs> I just, I, when I look at the board, I know I, the, the terrain is the obvious, okay, here's where everything should, I mean, mm. I, I don't, I don't be wasting terrain, but so, and I feel like the animals, I, why would I imagine where the animals can go when the animals ultimately can go anywhere? Okay. That's awesome. I love it. Maya usually beats me on terrain, so that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Yeah, yep. I haven't really delved far enough in. And also, I think that I'm my brain doesn't do the whole like mm. in mapping, envisioning thing mm. very well. I think we had the same kind of uh, discrepancy in the way we thought about like King Domino, where I think yeah. you were, Brendan, doing a lot more visualizing and pre-planning stuff. Uh, and that's something that just I really struggle with uh, in, in terms of thinking ahead. I think it's really cool then that Cascadia in this way can sort of appeal to your more Euro like efficiency sensibilities, which I have too, to some extent, and also just the spatial puzzle being there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think for Maya, it draws you in because you love the spatial pile, uh, spatial puzzle, and you can mm -hmm. sort of take or leave the more like Euro puzzly mechanisms. But I think they really work for you here um, in part because of the fun of patent creation. I don't know. Well, when you are, you'll have to indulge me by defining what you're saying is the Euro puzzly aspect of Cascadia. Mostly the way that the, the specific points pay out at fairly consistent rates. Mm. Um, and then there's like a math that you have to uh, filter through, but it's fairly forgiving and it's going to pay out generally equally the same, though not always. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I would just say like, for me, the Euro puzzly aspect of it is looking at the board, my board and the available yeah. uh, market on any given turn and just thinking through like, what is the most efficient point generating move yep. I can do right this turn and not really going further than that. I think the reason that it, it works for me is so I have a, I have a hard time with games where that are too punishing on that kind of, euro puzzly component and i don't think cascadia is too punishing with that just right like you can you can make some mistakes in terms of your animal math and still win the game uh, there's there's a little i feel like there's more leeway with it than some of the very euro -y euro puzzles yeah i would agree with that i think that's exactly what happened in uh the game that i played and lost to a less experienced board gamer so obviously, is there any value to this we game at all? It. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but so good. with that in mind, what you guys have played this game a ton, and obviously you're both completely infatuated with it. Um, are there any like criticisms that you can muster, like or a least favorite aspect of the game uh, this far in? I think for me, it's. it's one criticism that I have is that I feel like the puzzle can start to feel a little bit the same. Um, it doesn't have to happen often, but sometimes we'll have two games in a row where the scoring cards just kind of, for whatever reason, the scoring card arrangement and the, the, the way the tiles come out in that game and the tokens come out um, kind of lead to a, a samey feel as the last game. Um, and it just kind of feels about the same as the game before that. And we'll have this run of one or two or three games where I'm like, oh, maybe this doesn't do the sort of magic thing that I wish all these variable scoring games could do. But then almost always we'll have a fourth, a fifth and a sixth game following that where I'm like, <laughs> that was so exciting and so different that it just redeems itself. And I still really enjoy those first, those three more quote unquote stale plays. Um there's still a very engaging puzzle there that I really enjoy. Um, but 
I'm playing it because I'm chasing the really exciting plays that invariably come up every once in a while where everything comes together. Um, and the decisions just feel like the first time, but the 50th time that I've played it with my brain applied and it's great. Yeah, I agree. Jake, I think like what you're talking about with, I'm so sorry you lost a game of Cascadia. What a terrible experience. (laughs) Um, and I do, I do. That is, I guess one little criticism that I have is just it, it can be a little frustrating when you feel like you're doing really, really well and then you end up losing the game. And that's, I mean, that's the way games work, but also that's the way that games work with this kind of scoring where there's a, you know, a score sheet where you need to do the math of it. And that's the determining factor. I do think it can be more fun when you sort of see who's winning the game as you go throughout a game. And it's true that Cascadia doesn't really give you that because you're both working on your individual puzzles at the same time. I really okay. appreciate the condolences. That means a lot. <laughs> we'll send a we'll send a note to your house too, yeah. like a, a nice little holiday card. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't it, don't worry, it will go away. This is going to be alongside my name is Key Hater and our memes. Um, I will say also my other mild criticism is we picked up the Kickstarter cards, and I yeah. really like two of them. <laughs> And I don't really love some of the other ones. This is a set of uh, Kickstarter promo cards, one more for each animal, uh, that if you back the game on Kickstarter, you can get, or you can buy separately for $10. I think that because I didn't back the game on Kickstarter and bought them separately, I expected slightly more in that package. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I need them. I've quietly packed them back away into their little sleeve, and I'm happy to play with the base game ones. Occasionally, I'll bring them out, but I feel like some of those games have an asterisk next to them uh, mm-hmm. in my mind for some reason. And I think it's just that the complexity balance isn't always right on them or they're so polarizing that they completely reshape the game in a way that it feels not like the game that I'm used to. Totally. Yeah. And uh, and I still feel like sometimes the last turn can be kind of swingy, though you guys both disagree. Um, but that's it for, let's get off this turbulence. That was some good turbulence. I'm glad we got that out of our system. <laughs> I would love to end on a high note uh, and talk about what sets Cascadia apart, uh, why we all think it's a, a, a spectacular to uh, very, very good, potentially spectacular game. Maya, I want to hear your thoughts on this question out of sort of like what sets this one apart for you? Why did this game hit the table 65 times in the last six weeks? Because even though our time is like much more constricted than it's been in years. (laughs) I don't know. I think like right off the bat, it's just so sort of gorgeously tactile, well done, um, Mm. beautiful theme for me, um, you know, incredibly uh, accessible enough effort put into each unique piece of the game, right? So it's just, uh, it's great. It plays great on the table. But then for me, what sets it apart is the depth. Um, there, it's it comes off as this sort of simple game, and um, instead, I feel like we're having these super super fierce, still loving but incredibly cutthroat um, plays with each other day after day, which I don't feel like I get out of a lot of tile laying um pattern patterning games it's just a that much more of a deep competition than i expected do you feel like the game's given you back what you've put into it in terms of skill like do you feel like as much as you've thought about the game you've gotten better at it yeah i mean i wish that you know i wish that we could play a game with jake so we could get him to be a winner of cascadia (laughs) instead of 
<laughs> Sounds like I would not have good luck playing with the two of y'all. <laughs> she means she's gonna. We'll trade you for yeah. for twenty oh, games. Yeah. We have to play like, all day. I lose to y'all like ten times in a row, so that I could come back and play right, with right, people right. here. Yeah, it's like so the karate kid, but with yeah. Cascadia. Exactly. Yeah, the Cascadia kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. I feel like part of the joy is okay. Some games we play. I will say they just don't go our way and the point scores, the total overall are quite low, uh, but they're low for both of us because that's just how the tiles came out. It was a brutal game. It felt harsh, which I appreciate. Um, but I do feel like overall we've gotten significantly better at the game on average. I think we're averaging closer to a hundred than we were certainly in our first 10 plays and certainly in our second, second, 30 on the side closer to 60. Um, and I think that's partially what's kept us there is we feel like we're getting better. Um, and it might equate to on average up three or four points higher, but I think we both are chasing. We want to get to the point where we're averaging a hundred a game consistently. And I think that's what we're chasing is that specific high. And it's there. We can just basically every game, we can almost pull the pieces together and it's not quite there. So we do it again and we want to talk about it and talk about what we can do better. And I think not a lot of games hit that depth uh, to simplicity ratio. And that's the magic of Cascadia for me is the, the really simple mechanisms and, and rules baggage to really interesting, deep decisions, at least in terms of the ratio of what's offered. What about That's you, Jake? Awesome. Yeah, for me, I think the thing that makes me want to get this game back out and, and have it hit the table again um, is I think it does this sort of magic trick where it's managed to pack in uh, enough of the Euro strategy elements I love in such a simplistic rule set, um, but in a way that still feels like really satisfying at the end every time. I think like that's also the exact same thing I love about um, Sagrada, right? It has a super simple rule set, but it's packed in a lot of like strategic and tactical fun. But the end of that game is almost never satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what I haven't figured out yet. And I'd love to hear thoughts on from people in our discord. Um, Like Sagrada is very simple, similar complexity level, but it's like, really AP inducing. Mm. Uh, It takes a long time to get around the table where in my plays of Cascadia, even playing with people, my wife, who is very AP prone, uh, it hasn't triggered that in a way that really surprises me for a game that is as puzzly and, you know, tactical. Like it really matters exactly where you put your pieces. It really matters like where you choose your animal. And yet all my plays have seen it absolutely whipping around the table. And I think that is like an amazing accomplishment that the design is fostering that. I think that it totally nails. I think that is partially, so the magic of the way the puzzles interlock, right? The, the, not a lot. We don't talk about this a lot. Maya, I've talked with you about how uh, whenever a game gives you options, it can give you decisions, a choice between two like valid decisions that are pushing you closer to victory or choices, things that don't really help you, but are presented as options. Um, and I think Cascadia nails the dynamic choice to decision ratio on a given turn by having those four tiles and two tokens out. It, it's just enough with the flexibility of the train and how it can sprawl out and the animals uh, being somewhere a little bit more restricted and then those tiles that come out, there's just enough that you have really meaningful, exciting decisions, uh, but you also get those slam dunk turns that help a game whip. 
Um, and I love that about this game where it just flows around the table because every once in a while it will sort of slow and you'll sort of say, I don't know, these four, I have four amazing uh, options in front of me. This is a really hard decision. They're all valid decisions. And sometimes it's just like, oh gosh, this is my one. And other times it's like, oh, I'm screwed. That's spend some pine cones. I don't even know this, this turn sucks. So that's, that's part of the fun. Yeah. Well, I think that with that, I would like to say thank you to Maya for coming on her first episode ever of Decision Space. I hope you had a lot of fun. Thank you both for having me. This was so fun. I didn't I didn't know that this conversation would get to happen and I'm just really excited that the two of you got to meet and yes. that hopefully you've brought so much to this discussion and I hope that we get to have you on for more games in the future. Yes, please come back. You're welcome anytime. It's absolutely a pleasure meeting you and talking with you for a little over an hour about a game that you're clearly incredibly passionate about. Thanks again. Thank you guys for having me on Decision Space and I'll see you in Decision Spot. Amazing. Um, for all of you at home, just a quick reminder that coming up, we're going to be covering cartographers. If you want to engage with the conversation about Cascadia, about some of the concepts that we talked about, or anything else decision space, there's a community of excited and engaged game players just like you in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Discord is just like a, a modern equivalent of a chat room where you can talk about games or find people to play games with online. Uh, there's 100 plus people there now and it's a really lovely space and we encourage you to join you can find more out about the show on twitter uh at decision spa and on board game geek we also have a blog decision space uh we have a patreon now you can learn more about that at decisionspacepodcast.com slash patreon if you'd like to support the show and fund more exciting conversations like these while also helping them sound better, something that we've already put our Patreon money from our first batch of patrons towards. Thank you so much, all of you who back the show. Uh, you can do that at decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. And even a few dollars really supports the show and will potentially have an impact on its future. So thank you for considering that. And with that, uh, thank you to Hembry for their hit song, Reach Out, our intro and outro song. I'm not just thinking a random band. It is our intro and outro song. Uh, and they and have a new album out, so what? check them out. Let's go. Cool. Yeah. What's it called? Ooh, I want to do that to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, find out next week on Decisions Phase.